This is Other Voices. We're listening to varied views from local people who might otherwise not be heard. I'm Melissa Hale Spencer, editor of the Altamont Enterprise, which focuses on Albany County, New York. You can reach me at mhs at altamontenterprise.com. I'm talking to Ellen Howie of Altamont, who did not mow her lawn for the month of May. The initiative No Mow May was launched by the charity Plant Life in Great Britain three years ago to increase plant diversity as well as nectar for pollinators. Howie, who will soon turn 85, is the daughter of an organic gardener. Her father kept a victory garden during World War II, and her mother was a rosarian. Howie has a deep view of each person's importance in saving the planet that goes beyond growing her lawn or keeping a compost pile to make her refuse into fertilizer. So tell us, why does your yard look like a prairie? Well, I have not mowed it. And I heard a broadcast on National Public Radio early one Sunday morning, I think, It's titled Living on Earth. And they were talking about No Mow May. And it captured my imagination. And I thought, well, that's easy. I can just not mow. (laughs) And so uh, the lawn has not been mowed since last summer. Uh, And it looks beautiful oh and today is windy so when the wind blows it blows the grasses and it just looks like waves in an ocean uh there's wildflowers all over the place and i'm very happy i just think it's beautiful and this afternoon uh it is going to be mowed uh, and so it will look differently. It will. It will look like everyone thinks of a lawn, and yet you've found this new kind of beauty. I had never heard of No Mow May until your call. So, of course, I looked it up, and it turns out it started by a group, a charity called Plant Life in Britain, and they've amassed all kinds of data on how much better it is for pollinators, how much better the diversity of plants are for all kinds of things. Um, Something as simple as a dandelion, which I know many people try to take out of their lawns, it says that um, a single dandelion can give a bumblebee, an adult bumblebee, its energy needs entirely so it it's just this great thing that we've all uh ignored as we go about mowing our lawns i think it's really remarkable well when the dandelions bloom up here uh it it looked like a carpet of yellow and uh last year uh it wouldn't have been, oh my, it would have been, we, well, yes, the last time Dick mowed was uh, at the at the end of May, and 
it was beautiful then. There were all these little blue forget-me-nots all over the place. and But I just was happy to do that. And, of course, you know, there are beekeepers here in Altamont. And I've enjoyed not only their honey, but giving the honey uh, as gifts. And the thought that uh, the bees are happier also uh adds to the joy that I feel. Uh, it's just, it's just amazing. Yeah. Uh, when Michael was up here, he took some pictures. Um, and uh, we have a juga and the ajuga was spreading all over the place. And that's beautiful. That's nice, tall blue flowers. And then in the backyard, the whole backyard was full of uh, buttercups and these little tiny wild daisies. And he got a picture of that. Uh, and there's, I mean, I noticed, I noticed other little flowers that didn't get a chance if the lawn is mowed too early. When I went out to the compost, we have a compost out in the woods. And when I took the, the things out for the compost, actually uh, this morning, and there were new little flowers all over the place. It is just beautiful. In my opinion, now I realize that not everybody may like, may, that not everybody may like the lawn that has not been mowed. And as you know, Melissa, where where our home is, uh, even though we're right here in the village and right at the end of Prospect Terrace, we don't see any neighbors. And so there's nobody's lawn to compare or to be contiguous to, to our lawn. Uh, and no neighbors to perhaps not approve of this beautiful, beautiful unmowed lawn. <laughs> well, the Michael that Ellen's referring to is our photographer, Michael Koff, and he took the most wonderful pictures because Ellen is a petite woman, and she's standing in her lawn, and it's well over her knees. She looks like she's floating. You can see it in our paper. When you listen to this, you can look and see the picture. Um, but that was one of my questions. I wondered if the neighbors were disapproving, but your thought is the neighbors don't exist next to your house, so you haven't... Oh, the other thing is, I mean, we have wonderful neighbors. And, I mean, Altamont, of course, you know, I'm very biased, as you know. <laughs> and I think I've, I've experienced people um, being very, very willing to say, well... Good for you. Might not be my thing, but it's your thing, and so that's fine. Well, I'm wondering. Nobody has complained. Let's put it that way. 
Well, that's good to hear. And I'm wondering if it might catch on the way we feel peer pressure now. I remember when I, I first moved to my own house and we couldn't afford a lawnmower. And I looked out one day and a neighbor was mowing my lawn because it was considered <laughs> such a faux pas to, you know, not have a tended lawn. And I'm just wondering if this might catch on in the other direction and we'll all have, you know, waves of grain in our in our fronts and backs lawns. But the other name you mentioned was Dick, and that is Ellen's husband who died almost exactly a year ago. And I remember you told me that he loved mowing the lawn. And I just wonder what, you know, what your thoughts were about that, you know, uh, if he would have liked the, the gone wild approach. Well, He'd be horrified initially uh, because he just loves being outdoors and being on the, the, we have a ride on lawnmower, riding all over the place. And uh, he, he just loves the outdoors. And he's, he was quite a particular uh, man who liked things orderly. I, on the other hand, uh, I'm not particular. I'm not very orderly, I must say. And I like I like the wild things. I like wild weeds. I like rocks. I like all kinds of things that happen outdoors. And it's kind of a joke among all of our friends, and I guess for ourselves also, because as you know, Melissa, we were married 63 years, and. Uh, probably were on opposite ends of the pole a lot of the time, and maybe that's why we had such an interesting marriage, or as Dick would say, 63 years of marital bliss with the tongue-in-cheek, and uh, <laughs> our friends know very well uh, our differences, and they loved us anyhow. Well, often they say opposites attract, and it certainly seems to have worked in your case. And I've often wondered, I mean, you met and fell in love in high school your whole entire life. And I've worried sometimes this year when I think of you, but every time I see you, you look like yourself. You look bright and part of, part of life. You know, so. Well, we had a family Zoom on uh, Tuesday evening. That would have been June 1st. Uh, and there were, there were 14 of us on Zoom. Only one grandchild wasn't present. And uh, Betty Ketchum was willing to join us on uh, Betty and other people in Altamont have been so supportive of us because our children all live out of town. And uh, Betty uh, was the one that spent a lot of time, well, Dick wasn't in the hospital too long, but a lot of time uh, there with us uh, until our daughter was able to get up uh, on, on the 1st of June last year. But we all had a chance to celebrate Dick and to 
talk about what we were so grateful for. And as you know, Dick was on the library board. He just loved the library. Uh, so we're just very fortunate to live in Altamont where I, I was I was saying to somebody that it seems like the whole village is assisted living for me uh, because I don't drive anymore because of my diminishing eyesight. And uh, I took myself off the road. <laughs> and so, you know, there's, there's just all kinds of people that have just been wonderful and uh, you know, we're members of Altamont Reformed Church, and so that means the whole church and uh, many, many, many colleagues. I had the good fortune, the good fortune of uh, studying a book called Choosing Earth by Dwayne Elgin with a group of people around the world because I work with the Institute of Cultural Affairs and. Uh, you know, we were looking at what is it that we can all need to do and want to do to make a difference for the earth. And then Altamont Free Library has a book club that Dick and I were part of, for, or I am part of for many years. And uh, one of the books that we read was the Overt story on and by Richard Powers. It's a very long book, a wonderful book that has to do with the earth and trees and uh, what it means to, to care and the consequences of the care. And then in book club, we also read uh, a while ago, The Hidden Life of Trees, which is just a wonderful book, uh, a small book uh, that looks at how trees and how nature uh, cares for the trees care for one another in terms of their root systems. And if a, if a tree needs help, the other trees help the tree. Uh, it's, it's just beautiful, wonderful. So... I don't know. I have a great appreciation for this earth of ours. And well, that's remarkable. I hadn't realized um, the no mowing was part of this whole larger philosophical view of life and the reading you've done. Tell me about the Institute of Cultural Affairs, where you read this book, Choosing Earth, and a little more about that book. What, what is the Institute? Well, the Institute has uh, been around now for 60, 70 years, and we're involved in uh, human development and encouraging people where they are to do what they can do. And uh, we have methods that help people to say, you know, what is it that I want to see happen in my community? And who are the people I need to work with? And how do I need to do that? Uh, Dwayne Elgin has been uh, a colleague in the Institute for many years, and uh, he and his wife, Colleen, have uh, worked together with this book of Choosing Earth. Uh, Joe Burke at the Altamont Library was able to uh, 
get it for me. Um, and then uh, Dwayne Elgin is going to write a book about the wisdom of indigenous people, uh, which, I mean, I know not very much, but I do know, you know, what do we do that is going to be good for our children's children's children seven generations from now? And uh, I know that out in Western New York, the Seneca people are attempting to uh, protect their language so that that will go on. Uh, I just think that there is so much work that people are doing who are cooperating and asking, what can we do to make a difference with with this home of ours on planet Earth? Uh, and how do we work together uh, to do that? And there are many, many groups that are working, as you know, and trying to figure out what can happen. I think for me, the reason that my imagination was captured about No Mole May is because in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be 85. I don't know how that happened, but I am. <laughs> and, you know, when it's possible to do something right here, for instance, no mome or composting uh, or being concerned about fossil fuel and what the future holds for that. Um, here in Altamont, we're lucky because, well, not I don't use the word lucky, but it's been wonderful planning. We have sidewalks and people walk and they're out on their bikes and um, many, many people around here are very caring about uh, the earth. And we, I mean, we're fortunate we've got a number of uh, people who are master gardeners and Keith Lee comes to mind who we've, you know, worked together and he's built wonderful gardens and parks and he lives here uh, with his partner, Jim Gone, who was our mayor for many years. And both of them have done wonderful things to uh, create a village that we have here in Altamont that um, I know because I've kind of done a lot of traveling, one doesn't take it for granted to have a village like Altamont. So, Well, I remember you told me once about, because of your husband's job, how, how often you moved. And I asked, what was your favorite place? And you said, without hesitation, Altamont. And it's, 
It's interesting to think about it, and I do not know this book at all, Choosing Earth, but I had assumed it was environmental. And as you're talking, I understand that this Institute of Cultural Affairs is about more than just environmental. It's about this idea of uh, humanity. And when you build a village, it isn't just the greenery and gardens, which I agree are lovely, but it's got to do with this... Um, you know, sidewalks that are physical, but this connection of people that that happens because of how how the village is. And now I'm reaching deep into my memory. Did was this part of this organization formed after World War II, and you and your husband and young children lived communally? Is that yes. that same organization? Oh well, tell us a little about that because. That, that's an interesting chapter of your life. Well, that was back in 1975, and uh, Dick's job meant that he had to, in order to keep the job, he worked for US Air. Uh, the, he went to Philadelphia. At Albany, they stopped doing uh, mechanical repairs, and so he moved into our corporate living space in Philadelphia, and the children and I, as when school came to an end that year, we joined him. And we lived in Philadelphia and also in Baltimore, Maryland. And at that point, uh, our staff, we had people who, uh, we shared economically and shared in the different things that needed to be done so that we could also be active in communities and uh, working with communities in terms of methods uh, that would allow them to uh, explore what they wanted. Uh, so it has been a big part of our lives for a long time. Um, as you can imagine, it's not easy when a family lives corporately and uh, our children would have different stories and Dick himself would have different stories because um, he worked full-time. That was, that was his work. And, his whole salary made it possible for others to do the work that we were involved in at the time. And that had to do with doing town meetings in every county in the United States. And uh, again, you know, people would gather and say, well, what is what is my vision for this community? Uh, what do I see going on what would i like to see going on and then underneath that exploring well what are the contradictions why is that not already in place what's stopping that and uh identifying contradictions and then under that saying well what are the challenges given these contradictions and out of those challenges we as a community, what are the proposals we have? And then doing a timeline and one part of this town meeting 
um, model had to do with uh, a song story workshop. And so writing a song about community and uh, creating a symbol, it was quite exciting. And we were in Philadelphia at the time. So, of course, we were involved with the Philadelphia town meeting here in Troy. We have colleagues here. And uh, there was a town meeting there. And actually, one of the things that came out of that town meeting was the St. Joseph's uh, Shelter, which is in existence today. And Ken and Dorcas Rose, who, uh, well, Dorcas just died, but uh, they've lived there for 40 some years and uh, been so involved in community and so involved with the Institute of Cultural Affairs. And, you know, Ken uh, is now a professor emeritus over at RPI. So it's been, it's been a wonderful, wonderful thing. I mean, for our family, it made it possible for us to do many things. Um, I traveled to Kenya for the World Council of Churches in 1975 as a registered visitor, and we went to Namwai, which is in the new territories of China, uh, on a consul, where this little village looked at the kinds of things they wanted to see happen and how to bring that about, and went to Berlin, uh, went to Venezuela, our daughter actually, after high school, was in Venezuela at a village where we were working. But all of this was possible for us because we could fly space available on the airline, and our children could too. And those were the years where there was enough space on the airline for us to get on. I mean, if there were paying passengers that needed the seat, we did not get on. Uh, but we did many, many, many things. Um, so I've kind of lived a charm life in terms of friends and travel and Dick, um, many, many people in Altamont. Uh, knew Dick and uh, loved him, and he loved Altamont. Uh, he would go down to the post office, and we have a po post office box, and you don't go in and out of the post office in five minutes, you know. <laughs> Half an hour later, an hour later, you know, when he would finally be on his way home, he would turn to me and say, oh, I just love Altamont because he's an extrovert. <laughs> And he just loved running into everybody uh, and chit-chatting. So, Well, just this idea of your travels around the world uh, is so fascinating. Did, did you stay in touch with any of the people there? I'm especially interested, like in, say, Kenya. What was Kenya like in 1975? Well, I stayed in a village called Kavanguari, which is on the outskirts of Nairobi, and where we had a human development project 
as the Institute and we're working there. Um, and then I would walk back and forth across this great big field uh, to the Kenyatta Center where the World Council was meeting. Um, I, I have a vivid memory of going to the market, which would happen like once a week. And people from all over, all the, these tiny villages would bring their wares into the, into the market. Um, when, when the World Council opened, the, the Maasai people came and greeted people that were coming to Kenya and um, in their native dress, uh, it was it was just beautiful. Um, and again, I was simply a registered visitor. I heard on the radio. <laughs> I hear a lot of things on the radio that you know it was possible if you would like to be a registered visitor, you could apply. And uh, I did. And lo and behold. I got that status, you know, that status of, you know, being there observing. Uh, and at that point, we were in community. That was when we moved into Philadelphia. And the community knew that, you know, that was going to be possible for me. It was around Thanksgiving time. And so uh, I, I, went, I went to Kenya space available and uh i don't know maybe maybe we paid thirty dollars for a round trip ticket i maybe we paid nothing i don't know and uh our staff was there living in this little village and uh so i stayed with the staff and walked back and forth um it's kind of amazing when you think about it. Yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm just sitting here gape mouth taking this all in. Wow. Well, our time has gone so fast and we've talked about so much more than lawns and you have the lawn being mowed this afternoon. Are you going to miss it? Well, our daughter who was up here on on Wednesday to be with me uh, and I was talking about the lupin that are blooming right now in the garden. And as you know, when lupin goes to seed, the seed pods open and the seeds fly as far as two to three feet away from the plant. And so, you know, there's lupin different places in the garden. It's so beautiful. So I said to Ann, I said, this lupin is probably, you know, it's going it, to, it, it doesn't stay in the garden. So she said to me, well, she said, next year, if you decide, don't mow at all. She said, when that lupin starts to go to seed, give Ian, Ian Way is going to mow for us. Give him the lupin pod things and tell him to scatter them all over the, all over the lawn and see what happens next year. Well, I don't know. I, I'm trying to respect Dick. 
<laughs> in terms of saying, okay, I did no Maumee, but it's Ian, Ian and Jody are coming this afternoon at four. And I know the lawn is going to have to be mowed, you know, probably every week to get this field, this hay field down. And, but apparently it's very, very good for the grass just to let it sit there and, you know, keep, keep mowing it uh, and let it mulch the whole lawn. People used to say to Dick, oh, the lawn is beautiful, beautiful. What do you do? He said, I do nothing. He said, that's, that's why it's beautiful. I don't do anything. I, I do not fertilize. I do not. What is that thing when you put holes in the lawn? Yeah. Oh, air, air I, don't water, I don't water. I don't do anything. It just is, and it's beautiful. So, uh, you know, my dad was an organic gardener. Think about how many years that was right after World War II, right? During the war, people had victory gardens, and, you know, he grew, he had a big garden, and we had a get out there and help with it. Uh, my mother was a rosarian, which means she loves rose bushes. And so I've kind of been, I've been very, very, very fortunate um, to be surrounded by people who have given me a, everything that I have today. Well, I think we're very fortunate <laughs> to have you in the community. So thank you, Ellen Howie. And I will look forward to seeing what happens on Prospect Terrace next year. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Melissa. 